Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, welcome back to the New Books Network. My name is Adam Bobek, and I'm a PhD candidate in cultural anthropology at the University of Leipzig. It is my great honor today to be speaking with Dr. Hassan Abbas about his new book, The Prophet's Heir, The Life of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Dr. Hassan Abbas is Distinguished Professor of International Relations at the National Defense University. He is also the author of such books as The Taliban Revival and Pakistan's Drift into Extremism. Today, we'll be discussing The Prophet's Heir, published in 2021 with Yale University Press. Professor Abbas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Honored to be with you. Could you tell us a little bit about why you decided to write a biography about Imam Ali? There are a variety of reasons and the variety of uh, inspirations, I should say. Um, one, first and foremost, I have always been in awe of the personality of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Uh, uh, his writings, his speeches through Najul Balagha, um, his words of wisdom have always been a source of inspiration. But in this case, um, I think the primary inspiration was uh, slightly different, This, which was linked to my, my work as a political scientist, as a security studies scholar. Um, and I have been doing a lot of work on uh, extremist groups, on terrorism, um, and having worked on those issues in South Asia and in Middle East, um, I was very clear for some time now that um, the, the religious extremism that is posing this um, huge challenge uh, globally um, is linked first and within the Islamic context, linked first and foremost um, to the sectarian tensions and tussles and bigotry within Islam. Um, the, the Al-Qaeda's and the Daesh and the Taliban's of the world first and foremost have issues internally within Muslims. And within that context, I uh, was clear that this is the, the sectarian hatred and sectarian bigotry um, in which um, all sides are involved in some shape or form, uh, but some more than, than the other, especially in, on, in one case that we know the Daesh um, and Al-Qaeda. Uh, these are the organizations which have been first and foremost anti-Shia, anti-Sufi, anti-progressive uh, attitudes even within the Sunnis. So I, I, I thought I'd write some a book on sectarianism maybe. And, but, but that led, uh, I saw so many excellent works on that. And ultimately, I realized uh, all of our contemporary understanding of the issue is, is uh, linked to geopolitics. It is linked to modern day states and their interests and maybe not as much about religion. I wanted to probe this and I thought there's no better way but to go to, uh, to the early part of Islamic history. And um, then, then the tragedy kind of uh, became more apparent to me that a personality like Ali ibn Abi Talib, who was a bridge builder, uh, who brought people together, who was uh, somebody who was the real successor of the Prophet in a spiritual sense, is someone who is, has been projected by various Muslim groups as a point from where discord starts. And it is just so tragic because that's not the case. And I thought, in fact, <clears throat> it should be a book on Ali ibn Abi Talib, which will help me uh, 
explain the essence and spirit of Islam in so many ways. So that that's why uh, I reached this point. And then I think it was <clears throat> um, th- this was the thinking. But it happened also by chance in a conversation with an editor. Uh, we were looking at different ideas, and it was my editor at Yale University Press who I give full credit <clears throat> to to heard this idea first and then encouraged me and then supported me all the way long. So so it was this combination of factors which, which led to this work. And what audience did you have in mind? Excellent question. The audience I had in mind was, um, I must say, first and foremost, um, young Muslims. And uh, young Muslims for the reason that uh, having now, uh, I see myself as a, a Western Muslim or uh, an American uh, Muslim, I had seen, I have been involved, I've lived in Boston, in New York, in Washington, D.C. for the last 20 uh, years or so. I've lived in England and studied there as well. And I've seen uh, the uh, the discussions between the young Muslims among the Shia and the Sunnis are have become very intense and have become a very um, sectarian. And th- there's a lot of confusion as well. And so I, I thought they need to first get the message um, of... Through my humble attempt about the essence and spirit of Islam, then secondly, um, it, it's the Western audience, which is um, because of, if I may say, that war on terror, and because of all the the, the global tensions and conflict in the last two to three decades, um, they have started looking at Islam in a very negative light. Uh, when we hear about Islamophobia, uh, not of course none of the Muslims would ever justify it, but we understand because um, if all the big projections are coming from the extremist organizations. And then the Muslim world, as soon as you glance at the leadership, you see, in most cases, authoritarian leadership. You see the human rights violations. You see internal conflict. And you you get a certain image, uh, which is a very unfair and unfortunate image and which is not deep-rooted in a historical sense. And I thought this, uh, we need to uh, reframe some of the issues for the Western audience also to, to tell them about the beauty of Islam, the spirituality of Islam, and uh, the, 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 the messaging and the narrative uh, of Islam, which is so different from these bombers and extremists uh, and bigots. And, uh, and that's why. So I would say perhaps equally to young Muslims in the West, uh, but also uh, to to my Western non-Muslim audience, the English-speaking, Spanish, French, hopefully translations are under consideration at this time, some happening as well. But the Western audience, non-Muslim audience is also what, what I'm trying to um, uh, get to. Throughout the book, you use both uh, Quranic verses and poetry to tell you to help you tell the story. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to use both Quranic verses and poetry here? Thank you for another fascinating question. Uh, yes, um, Quranic, because that uh, for Muslims, uh, of course, it's the most authentic source. And because so much has come into vogue in Muslim scholarship, which is uh, which is linked to at times commentaries, at times um, uh, disputed uh, hadith literature, that I thought uh, that if I'm trying to be convincing and trying to be very authentic, um, and as as it should be, the, the divine message and the center core message is that from Quran. 
of course, we cannot understand without understanding the Prophet. But first and foremost is Quran. Uh, and that's why I, and there was so much um, in Quran which establishes uh, some of the central principles, but also the centrality of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his family, the Ahlul Bayt. And I thought there is no better way. There are so many Quranic verses like um, Surah Dahar or Surah Insan, uh, is what is also called. Is in praise. It starts with in in praise of Halul Bayt. There are so many verses about a certain incident would happen, um, like the incident of three days of fasting of the family of the Prophet, um, and that is the, the, mentioned in the book in detail. That the verses came in response uh, to what had happened with Halul Bayt. Similarly, with some of the actions of Ali, the most famous one um, that he is praying in a mosque and. Um, Somebody comes in, uh, 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 somebody who's needy, who's asking everyone for help, but everyone is busy in prayers. And Ali, while uh, going down, uh, gives his uh, ring because that was the only way he takes off his ring to give to that person. Uh, then a verse comes in which directly mentions about uh, this event. And there's no dispute among the Sunni, Shia, Sufi um, uh, commentators. They all say, oh, this is about Ali. And that verse is so powerful. It says, uh, your helper and supporter and guide and wali is God, uh, his prophet, and those who give uh, charity while praying. So I thought that verse, any debate on Ali should have ended by that. Uh, after that verse, because it says it is linking Ali to the Prophet and to God. And in the same vein, your Wali and supporter, your Wali supporter and guide is God, the Prophet, and actually in real words, Ali. Uh, and if, if everyone agrees to it, then what's the dispute? And I thought I need to start from that. And that hopefully will uh, will, will convince so many people about the importance of this, this idea or the Velayat uh, of Ali. So that's why Quranic verses. I picked poetry because poetry comes from people's hearts. I mean, the, the, the rhythm and the beauty um, and the tone and tenor of the poetry, um, it, it cannot be choreographed. It comes out from your heart. So it is across the Muslim history and across the religious or sectarian divisions. It is the love of people for Ali, which has been a galvanizing factor for bringing people together. Ask any Sufi. Um, recently, actually, just last week, I was tra traveling to Pakistan and there was a Sufi mystic scholar who clearly, he said, I'm neither a Shia nor a Sunni, anyone. Uh, he had some feedback on my book uh, and which was a little critical. And I said to him, I said, you're most welcome. This is as an academic I'm trained to and we are learning. But then I asked him a simple question. Uh, Please tell me about uh, what do you have to say about the vilaya or, or the spirituality or the status of Ali? He stopped for a second and he said something which I'll try to translate. He said Ali himself was not the Wali. And I was a bit shocked what he's about to say because he claimed to be from a Sufi tradition. And then he said, no, Ali is the one who since day one of Islam is the one who is tasked to distribute the status of, of spirituality to everyone. So Ali is the giver of Vilaya. So he said, no one can claim to be a Sufi or a mystic unless Ali accepts it and grants it to him. And that was a big statement. And I said, wow, look, look at that. So that's why I've picked poetry, because poetry is the true reflection of the Muslim mind 
and those Muslims who who's uh, who are really deep into the the mystical dimension and the spirituality of Islam. So I thought this combination will help me uh, make my case more effectively. And aside from the Quran and poetry, the amount of research that went into this book is unbelievable. Can you talk a little bit about your research for this book? Thank you so much. Um, because I knew that because of the modern day sectarian tendencies, uh, most of the sects are deeply busy uh, with just confronting each other and getting everything changing or converting everything into a debating context. And I said, the, and I thought that the references that I will use will have to be the most authentic. And I also knew um, I'll not go very far by only using references from one sect. So I had to, I initially made a claim in the book that I will mention most of the things only which, the facts which are um, not only incontrovertible, but also uh, common tendency. So I, if I'm looking at Sehai Sitta, I'm also looking at Sheikh Mufi. And then that was easier said than done. I realized that meant that I had to look at the uh, the Sunni Hadith, which is also Shia Hadith. I mean, that's not, cannot, should not be called only Sunni Hadith, the, the six great books. But then um, four or five major books from the Shia tradition, uh, or the Shia tradition, Sheikh Mufid, and, and other uh, to see the two books and the great great important uh, scholarship and uh, and uh, of course uh, all these statements and hadiths from the the, the twelve imams in the Isnashri twelve tradition. Also, I looked at the Ismaili tradition, found amazing things, um, and then my challenge was okay. This is the religious. Uh, scholarship. I have to go to the historians also, to, to Tabri, and uh, on the Shia side, uh, to many of the leading uh, uh, Shia writers. And actually, the, the tragedy was, in many a cases, there are some leading writers who had a tendency of uh, leaning towards Ali. And they were, historians call them Shia. And they were not Shia. They, they were mostly from the Sunni tradition. But, but just because it became so such a confrontational uh, scholarly environment um, uh, during historical eras, uh, during Ottomans and even Safavids as well, that uh, even normal, ordinary things were, were uh, made controversial. So I thought the only way I can defeat that sectarianism is by picking up sources from the hadiths, the both Shia and Sunni, the historians. And then I came to the contemporary scholarship and I picked about 30 scholars. The, the book mentions all those 30 scholars. So, um, and um, at one point when even I had finished the book, I realized I had decided to look into the works of 30 people. I'm only, maybe I've read many of those or glanced through all, but I'm quoting only about 15 of those. And I said, no, when I'm saying I benefited from these 30, I went back, set aside my uh, manuscript, read new works. And unless and until I realized that I'm reflecting the opinions of almost all those in some shape or form, um, I, I thought my 
narrative will not be completed. So, uh, and in many cases, what happened was that I would be, uh, COVID era helped me a lot, I must say, because that allowed me, I mean, I mean, it's tragic as it is because so many people lost so many uh, f- family members. It, it has been a tragedy which is still unraveling, uh, but it allowed some scholars like me and you and others to actually sit at home and rather than traveling and teaching, we are teaching also, it's, this, it's the same screen you are uh, teaching in front of. So that, uh, and that helped me understand why my effort in the previous three years, 2017 to 2020, uh, were, I was very slow. I was reading a lot, was but was not able to write. These two years, 20, uh, mostly the whole of 2020, and allowed me to sit and read those works. And many days would go by without me writing anything, or maybe one paragraph in three days, because I would, I would look at a new book and that I would found it so intriguing and so much with new materials that I thought I need to read the whole book. And then maybe two instances come out of it. And I wanted to build that story. Uh, and I hope I'm able to build that story uh, because many people, my children, I think, aside from the research work that I did, uh, was another critique was from my fam- immediate family. I have three, I'm blessed with three daughters all grown up now but they were doing covid they were at, at home as well with my wife and it was good to have four women actually look at everything because they were constantly asking me from most biographies um why is fatima missing and i realized for instance baby fatima binte asad the mother of ali and she was such an important personality because not only she was ali's mother she's the one who groomed the prophet prophet grew up in the hands of fatima binte asad ali's mother and when I started looking at materials about her, I couldn't find anything. Then I found a PhD dissertation on Fatima Bente Asad, which is, uh, I think, available uh, on the web, which is referenced in the book as well. I looked at two or three other books and I built that story. I owe not many of those things of other women personalities as well in the book to my family, who were this constant c- critics at dinner table. Uh, so every dinner, ta- dinner time was a conversation on that. So. It is a combination of uh, hopefully this scholarship that is produced and also uh, a discussion among young Muslims who were talking to their other friends. And last but not the least, the research also included conversations with Muslims, both Shia and Sunnis. I would uh, write a chapter and then invite um, two or three of friends from one sect at times together as well. I would test my theories. That I have many interesting stories, which if there's time I can share of uh, how kind of a strong feedback I would get. At times, people would stop talking to me and then I would have to tell them, look, I was just testing. This is a, a tentative conclusion on a certain aspect of Amali's life. Don't feel offended. I'm trying to really go deep and think through uh, and also see what sounds logical and rational or not. So don't feel bad. Uh, and but so there was that kind of interaction because a lot of what is believed about Ali, especially in the Sufi tradition and partly in Shia tradition as well, is 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 verbal history, is oral history. It's you'll not find those in the books, or you'll find it in some archaic book, hard to find. But people are so sure about those facts, and I at times had to ask them, where you heard it from. For instance, one of the, I'm sorry for a long answer maybe to your question, it's okay. There's uh, one story which I've mentioned earlier in the book uh, by uh, by a Pakistani uh, scholar uh, uh, called Masnavi Mawla Ali. Um, 
treatise in the in the praise of uh, Ali by he's a, he was a Sunni scholar, um, and he wrote it, it, it in the shape of a poetry. The whole book about Ali is in the form or shape of a poetry, um, and it's a poetic discourse. And I found a story, a very f- story that stunned me uh, and surprised me because uh, not that I claimed that I knew everything about Ali, but it, the story was so powerful and I had never heard it before. And um, throughout my life, I lived in Pakistan mostly, but then in England and then last 20 years in US in three different cities. In Pakistan also, I lived in various uh, towns and cities. I've always uh, visited uh, both the Shia and the Sunni centers My uh, to, to uh, Full disclaimer, my father was a Shi'i, my mother was a Sunni. So I we had to often go to the, both the schools of thought and both Islamic centers. The family was also divided in half and half. So um, it was interaction throughout life with both traditions. And I think I borrowed and I benefited hugely from both Shi'i and Sunni traditions. And in my later part of my life, uh, because of a spiritual master, a Sufi spiritual guide um, helped me tremendously. So I had at least got a little flavor from all these ideas. So I, I wanted to reflect all those ideas. And when I would talk uh, to different groups, uh, they would give me different ideas to this Masnavi Mawla Ali, which, which uh, I want to mention very briefly, has a story which says uh, that uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, when he was called for Miraj, when he went uh, to, to heaven, uh, the famous uh, story, which is in Quran as well, which is a Miraj uh, in Nabavi, a very important aspect of Islamic history, when he was called upon, upon by the God. And so this book, Mustavi Mawla Ali says um, that when the Prophet went in front of the God, God gave him a gift at the end of this meeting, a face-to-face meeting in a, in a, in a sense, which even according to Quran, it's a beautiful way the Quran talks about this, how close were Prophet and God. Kaaba uh, Qasain, that, that verse. And when God says to, uh, to the Prophet, um, this is a gift to you, and it is called in, in uh, Urdu or Farsi, it is called Kharkai uh, Fakar, which I have translated as uh, a cloak of uh, spirituality or a cloak of spiritual excellence. So the Prophet brings it back, according to the tradition in this book, the Prophet calls his four friends without naming them. The book is not mentioning the four names except one, Ali's name. We know Ali was among the four, but we don't know who the other three were. And the Prophet says, I'm going to transfer this kharkai fakar or cloak of spirituality to one of you. But there's a test that you have to go through. Tell me, if I give this very powerful thing to you, what will you go? What are you going to do with it? How will you use this um, great power and spirituality? So the first person says, the first companion uh, says, I will use it um, for charity. I will give a lot of charity. The second person says, I'm going to go and um, uh, win over more lands or acquire more lands uh, for the Muslims. The third one says, I am going to proselytize. I'm going to go across the world taking the message of Islam and converting people or, or introducing the beautiful message of Islam. Then comes the, t- uh, the turn of Ali. And Prophet says, what are you going to do? And um, I'm not short of words, but what I remember is Ali said, um, I'm going to, um, he said, I'm going to hide people's mistakes. I'm going to, in a sense, cover up. I'm, or indirectly saying, I'm not going to uh, expose people's mistakes. 
I'm going to help them cover those or I'm going to ignore. And the Prophet said, yes, Ali, that's, that's the answer I was looking for. The cloak of spirituality is given to you. I have mentioned this um, story to so many audiences, both in Shia and Sunni, and they all mostly get stunned, especially Shias, because Shias have not heard about it and uh, in most cases. And when I read it in that book, I started researching what is the source? Why in all my with having connection with both the Shia and Sunni tradition, why I have not heard this before? And I realized because when I went to... Uh, the, the writer, um, uh, God bless his soul, Fazli Haq, was already had expired, but I knew his son very well. I talked to him and others, and then I ultimately found a Sufi scholar in New York, actually, uh, uh, Mr. Saklan, who I asked, I said, I know, Sayyid, you are a spiritual master. You talk about, you love Imam Ali. He's from a Sunnah Sunni tradition. I said, have you heard of this? He said, of course. We use it in all our speeches in the Sufi tradition. And I realized neither the Sunnis nor uh, the Shias have heard it uh, often because of their own reasons, which are, I'll not go into those details. But I said, because the message is so powerful, we often focus so much on other aspects, uh, this human-to-human relationship, this uh, helping other people or uh, giving them a chance. I mean, I read this statement of the reason in so many different ways. Ali was just saying, I'm not going to do the backbiting. I'm not going to expose people's faults. I'm not going to um, uh, kind of pick on people's mistakes and then misuse and manipulate those. I'm going to g- help them get another chance. I'm not going to give a bad name to to my friends and people. I mean, there's so many words in which we can explain. And I said, this is a trait which is so important and which is unfortunately so widespread. And uh, maybe no one wants to acknowledge that how central is this small, simple message that in the God's eyes or in the Prophet's eyes, that's the most important thing. So those kind of stories I also was able to add. And so this research of this uh, the oral history, uh, talking to people also played a very important role. So before we get directly into the biographical details of Imam Ali's life, uh, could you, and you do this so beautifully in the book, could you talk about the world that Imam Ali was born into? Sure. Um, I mean, he was, uh, in a spiritual sense, um, this is the most privileged setting um, with his parents, Abu Talib and Fatma binti Asad, uh, at that moment of Ali's coming uh, in this life linked to the Prophet. They were the ones who were uh, taking care of, of the Prophet. The Prophet, Muhammad peace be upon him, at that time had not announced uh, um, his prophethood. That, that was still um, about 10 years away. But that's the time when in the ordinary society, there's this all this entrenched tribalism. Uh, there is uh, deep-rooted uh, political controversies. There's infighting. Um, there is uh, Arab, it's, it was a thriving trade uh, center. Uh, and Kaaba was also the, the, the black cube that we see as the center of Islamic pilgrimage in Mecca uh, was there, and people coming from everywhere. But but also um, uh, this place was kind of cut off from the from the rest of the world at that time. So, but there was this huge gap also, or this um, uh, 
need for a spiritual awakening, which was also taking root uh, because of the the internal battles, crime, violence. Um, There was this chaos, a confusion was confounded, I would say, which, which had also pushed people to their edges. And, and in that environment, we, the world was getting ready, or this region was getting ready uh, for for the final prophet. And uh, the message was well known among the the very very knowledgeable. For instance, we we, we read about um, uh, Salman al Farsi, or now uh, called Salman al Muhammadi, also in Iraq because he's he's buried there. Uh, was was now traveling from across the world through priests. He was getting the spiritual message through the the Christian priests at that time who were giving him this lesson that, yes, we know that a prophet is to come. And and, and because the spirituality in those uh, churches was also very strong. But the message that everyone knew in the Jewish tradition as well. So it was that environment, uh, 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 an environment which is pregnant with hope, uh, but also uh, very divisive. very um, tainted uh, at its core as well. Uh, so that that's the environment and where when Ali comes in, he he actually is, as I tell the story in the book, uh, and which is a very uh, based on authentic uh, Muslim tradition from all uh, from all sides, is that Ali was born in Kaaba. And that that's uh, whether you look at the poetry of belonging to any group, it's so, uh, so much of an accepted fact that Ali was born in Kaaba, which is a, in itself a huge distinction. But when Ali comes out, he opens his eyes in front of uh, in front of the or in the hands of the Prophet. So the, the world he comes in is very devices, uh, divisive, very broken, very truncated. Uh, but also, uh, it is he had the greatest privilege to be in the hands of the Prophet, and then he's groomed by the Prophet. Uh, we, we read this tradition in Islamic history of Prophet even much before uh, that he announces uh, his. Uh, prophethood or, or Gabriel visits him even before that he used to walk up the mountain of uh, of the cave of Hira and when it was not alone that he would go the prophet one few people know that actually who who had shown the prophet the light who had shown the prophet the way to that cave his grandfather Abdul Mutlib that was I had to do on this one small point a lot of research um, that it was the, the, the spirituality was in the family uh, whether it was Abdul Mutlib or Abu Talib or Abdullah, they were all very, very gifted people because the final prophet had to come in this family. So Abdul Mutlib used to go for his kind of spiritual isolation at times prayers. The, he had shown that to the prophet. When the prophet Muhammad used to go up, he would take his wife Khadija and the small child Ali. So Ali used to go with him. So the world that Ali came into was so powerful in a spiritual sense. And that's why later on Ali had said in his uh, discourse that he said, I know the context and timing and reference of every verse that came to the the Prophet because he was always with the Prophet. He was his right-hand man. He was his assistant. He was his, uh, in a sense, when I say closest friend, people get a little jittery and think, okay, no, Abu Bakr was the best friend. Abu Bakr was also a very good friend. It's not always to say when... um, So Ali was more of the right-hand man, the assistant, the heir. Uh, And and think of that moment which explains the the world Ali uh, has come into, which is Ali's hardly, I think, 10 or 11 years of age when the Prophet got uh, the message and he invited his close family friends. 
and in those closest family friends were all his uncles and cousins and the closest family members and the prophet tells them he 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 tells ali actually the young ali uh, please arrange for food and the food is prepared and on the first day when the prophet is about to give the message everyone had their food they saw there's something strange happening they left the second day again they were called the third day uh, prophet uh, made a good decision he said okay i'm going to talk first and then offer food uh, so everyone stayed for for food and that's when the prophet gave the message and said i want to introduce you to this one god who's all supreme and all powerful and everything in this world is his creation he he is the sovereign and i'm con- here to convey the message to uh, to you about about the tawhid or the oneness of god and then he said i am his representative here i am the prophet and uh, at, at that moment he said i i want help from all of you and no one raised uh, their hand or offered assistance when twice or thrice the prophet said ali as a 9 or 10 year old just raises his hand and says prophet i'm going to help you and that's when uh, abu husham and the most authentic original biography of the prophet says i mean it's, it's so insightful as soon as the prophet heard he never said oh you are a child is a is a kid uh, prophet said oh okay from now you are my supporter and you are my heir these are the words that's where from where the, i take the title there is no dispute on the translation uh, i don't know why those who have issues with the, my title the prophet's heir um, are not looking into, into the source from where i'm borrowing this the prophet has so clearly mentioned in the very very first major islamic event uh, so so the 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 point i'm referring to is ali from day 1 has come into a world where with every passing year or maybe every passing month there is a new spiritual excellence that awaits him and his closest to the prophet introducing him to this spiritual world from from the very childhood from the very world go and and that's the strength of ali which no one else can uh, can uh, be compared with i mean no one else uh, irrespective of their importance or spirituality or their contributions of all the companions um, of, of the prophet they are all honorable uh, but no one can match ali because the kind of background from birth to uh, his before his even getting an ad, becoming an adult his childhood is that of not only closest closeness to the prophet uh, but of this constant spiritual teaching that he's getting from the prophet that is unparalleled so let's let's stick with this topic of imam ali's childhood and in this second part of the interview i'd like to talk about imam ali in his various roles so can we start off with maybe talking a little bit about imam ali as a son absolutely uh, imam ali as a son i would say i mean one he of course was biologically son of abu talib and uh, fatima bint asad but he also let me say this um, was also son to the prophet in a sense and uh, the reason was also not only that he, uh, because the prophet owed a lot to abu talib and to fatima bint asad abu talib ali's father uh, who had taken the responsibility to groom the prophet uh, in fact the uh, Ali's father was the chief protector of the prophet the prophet was saved so many times not only saved but groomed and take uh, cared for by by Abu Talib that uh, 
Abu Talib and Fatima bint Asad basically served as as the parents of of the Prophet. Early on, there was um, whether because of the economic some challenge or some other issues, Abu Talib was in a difficult position. So the Prophet had taken asked for Ali to be, to be to, to to adopt him. So just to help his uncle and his uh, uh, almost parents, uh, so that they may be able to deal with the financial situation. In fact, different uncles uh, took care of all the brothers um, of Ali as well, Akil and Jafar uh, as well. So Ali became, Ali was adopted by Khatija and, and, and uh, the Prophet. So Ali in that sense is also the, the, serving as the son of the Prophet and Prophet had lost one of his childs. Um, Earlyhood, in as in as an infant, um, uh, Khadija had lost a, a, a baby, and she was, of course, that was not easy for her, and that was also the moment that Prophet committed to to Abu Talib that he would help him by taking care of uh, Ali. So Ali became, uh, in 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 that sense, the the offspring of the or son of the Prophet. So he and he performed both the roles um, in in an extraordinary fashion. Um, standing by the prophet um, for a variety of reasons he as his successor and heir as well but also in his role as as a son i would say um, this is now not how most muslims would uh, 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 explain this relationship I, I i'm fully aware of this but but that's something to think about uh, because that's how ali was groomed in that household and he um, uh, this is how he looked at, at Khatija. This is also the way he looked at uh, Fatima bint Asad. Uh, and, and the Prophet, just to for, for comparison purposes, for Prophet Fatima bint Asad was an extremely important lady. The day she died, um, the Prophet was there. He gave his own shirt uh, to be used in her uh, the cloth uh, in which she was buried, Fatima bint Asad. So Ali had seen how uh, people around him, including the Prophet, especially the Prophet, I should say, were dealing with their elders. So um, Ali lived up to that teaching in in the best way possible. And you also mentioned his brothers. Could we talk about Imam Ali as a brother? Absolutely. Uh, uh, especially the two brothers, actually, both were very accomplished and both uh, played a very important role in Islamic history. Uh, Jafar and Aki. And, and and especially Jafar is called Jafar Tayyar. He he died in a very important battle, and the Prophet said that he is a martyr, and he's Prophet had said I'm I see him flying, uh, in fact with with uh, two angels. That that's how his name, if I remember correctly, that's why he was called Jafar Tayyar, Jafar who's flying. Um, Ali was uh, very upright as well. The one in, event that is coming into my mind that one of the uh, the brothers, not Jafar, Akil came to Ali, uh, Akil was in some uh, financial distress and Akil came to Ali when Ali was the caliph, the, as, as the fourth caliph of Islam and in his early days and Akil comes to Ali and says that, look, um, I am going through a financial uh, difficult situation. I want you to, to help me through the treasury and you are the caliph. You have all the money in your hands. I need it. And um, Ali looked at him. Ali uh, showed him uh, there, there was a coal or there was a burning fire uh, uh, with wood. Uh, Ali showed him and he said, uh, should I push you in it? He said, what do you mean? Why you want to push me into the fire? Ali said, that's what you want 
to happen to me you are asking me to take money from the treasury which is the uh, which is owned by the people or by the state uh, you want me to be corrupt and give this to you and he totally declined him in fact uh, akil was uh, very much annoyed from him but uh, for for some time uh, and went to the other camp in mawia's camp according to some tradition as well for a short while but then when uh, mawia uh the, the the governor in uh, damascus um, tried to manipulate the situation akil could read the situation and came back the point i'm making ali was um, very true to his principles uh ali uh, would go and at that time also what ali said to akil was well i cannot give you anyone else share but here is my share as a citizen uh, because ali had made a new policy or he had reverted to the old policy of the prophet and also i think uh, history tells us of the first caliph uh, that every single penny or the, or whatever the currency uh, the gold or silver that was uh, the in the ownership of the state or the caliph was distributed equally among everyone the policy had changed at the time of somewhat towards the end of the second caliph's time and the third caliph that those who had become uh, who had joined islam early on were given privilege or some special uh, uh tribes especially uh, banu umayya uh, or umayyads were giving uh, uh, more privileges but ali had reverted to the policy that everyone will receive equal share that's why ali said to akil um, look i cannot give you anything from 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 the treasury however i can give you my own share and he gave his own personal share uh, to his brothers so ali was uh, yes um, he uh, as a brother ali uh, was cognizant of his responsibilities but he would not violate law for anyone or he would not violate his principles for everyone he was serving he was a brother to every muslim in that sense also um, th- that's what comes to my mind with this part and how about imam ali as a husband oh that that's uh, um, i think in so many ways the most important uh, aspect i mean he had the privilege of uh, being being the husband first and foremost of um bibi fatma zahra the daughter of the prophet and and that's so such an important and central relationship uh, we we know that bibi fatma zahra uh, is the lady of the heaven or is she's the lady who's the uh, in this according to islamic tradition and hadith uh, she is the leader of women um, in 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 heaven and her, her sons hasan and husain are uh, the leaders of men or young men uh, everyone will be young in heaven so basically uh, leader of every man in in heaven so this this family is so special the ahl bayt the five and fatima is at the core of it and fatima is also there this famous this prayer hadith e kisa which is also referenced through quran uh, mentioned uh, in quran in detail uh, but then there is a prayer and there's and a special event uh, where the the status of the ahlul bayt the five are really elevated and and when it, it this actually hadith e qudsi as well where hadith e qudsi means um, a, a saying a divine messaging but it is coming from the prophets uh, uh, from the prophet but it's not part of the quran per se and that was when the whole five family members including the prophet were introduced they were introduced through fatima when somebody asked who is in this group uh, under the cloak uh, hadith e kisa the, the, the cloak of kisa um, it is said it is fatima her father her husband her sons um, so there is more to fatima 
than I think what we know of. Um, there's there's this mystery and legend and secrecy as well um, of in a, in, a, in a positive sense that's so important. Ali, um, I think that was Ali's greatest privilege. In fact, it is said if it uh, there was no Ali, there would have been no one who could have been um, equal to Fatima in a sense of becoming her her life partner. So, uh, and Ali's love for his family, especially for Fatima. I think was uh, one of the key points of early Islamic history. Um, whether it was about bonding, whether it is about sacrifice, whether it is about standing up for the Prophet, whether it is about uh, giving everything for the cause of Islam. It was that beautiful combination of Ali and Fatima. Ali was not only totally dedicated to Fatima, but Ali, I think, was drawing a huge uh, support from Fatima. Without uh, Fatima's support, um, in many cases, her advice and guidance as well. Um, I mean that that was so critical and crucial for the uh, for Ali. So that relationship, in this sense, his 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 relationship, love and closeness and sincerity and loyalty to Fatima uh, was the hallmark uh, of all that Ahlul Bayt stands for. And now you've mentioned the five, and the five being uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Imam Ali, uh, Bibi Fatima Tazara, and Ali and Fatima's two sons, Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein. Exactly. Thank you. And so now would be, I think, the ideal time to speak a little bit about Imam Ali as a father. True. Um, that too is... Uh, not only so important, uh, but 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 also uh, reminds us of of the great tragedy of Islam in, in Karbala as well. What Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein had done actually, they they both apparently um, responded to the challenges in a slightly different way. Um, and I'm only mentioning it because it it was all linked to the training and the guidance uh, and and partnership of of Ali Hassan. After Ali's uh, uh, martyrdom as caliph in the mosque, Hassan had become uh, the caliph for a short time, maybe four to six months. And uh, ultimately, Hassan had uh, opted for a negotiated peace deal, um, uh, so to say, whereas uh, Hussein had stood up and, and uh, challenged the oppression and reacted and responded uh, in, through defiance which led to the the, the tragic uh, story of karbala but it was for both of the both of them were right in their own way the way they reacted and responded to uh, the, the bigotry and oppression of the times uh, both for them at the core of their actions was the teachings of, of the prophet peace be upon him because hassan and hussein had uh, they, uh, they 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 grew in in the hands of the prophet also but it was the guidance and the way Ali nurtured them by instituting not only the, the central principles of Islam, but also this feeling that they all they, that they have to do is to is to sacrifice and establish their loyalty and pay back in a sense to what status they have been given by God. And it was it was Ali who throughout uh, the time after Fatima died very young, uh, Fatima to Zara. So Hassan and Hussein Ali married again. Uh, uh, there are different traditions, but Ali married uh, four times um, during the time that he was married to Fatima. That was the um, 
only relationship he had. But after Bibi Fatma Zahra's death, Ali married um, thrice again, in some traditions more, but thrice is the most authentic one. And uh, there were more children Ali had also. Some people say 20, some say uh, uh, more than that. But Ali, each one of Ali's children uh, were a reflection of not only his piety and spirituality, uh, but his wisdom and his bravery as well. But that was not reflected uh, better than through what, what happened uh, through the actions of Hassan and Hussain. So uh, Hassan and Hussain, both imams in the Shi'i tradition as well, but also in the Sunni tradition. Um, I'm reminded of uh, my recent visits to Turkey, but the most recent one. In fact, when I first talked to you, I was in Turkey a few weeks ago. Um, every mosque, almost every mosque that you go to in Turkey, and the, Turkey is a majority Sunni, but there's there's a small, uh, not small, I think 15 to 20% Shia tradition as well, or Alevis as well in addition. But every mosque you go to, I mostly had a chance to go to Sunni mosque, every mosque says, Ya Hassan, Ya Hussein. So in the Islamic tradition of the Sunni tradition as well, the, the idea of Ahlul Bayt or Panjitan, as we say in Urdu and Persian, of as you rightly reminded the audience about Muhammad, Ali, Fatima, Hassan and Hussein, they, they are the center of the Islamic universe. And Hassan and Hussein took the legacy not of the Ali, but of the Prophet, because Ali was not teaching them about his own uh, uh, legacy per se. The legacy of this family, the legacy of Hassan and Hussain or any imam is actually linked to the Prophet. Ali is just the link, the bridge, which is keeping alive the, the message and the spirituality and the, uh, the the central principles of Islam. So Ali's task was, I mean, Ali, look at how busy Ali was from his work um, during the time that others were caliph, but he was supporting them either through advice at times in the Sunni tradition as a chief judge, but, but consistently working also. Um, Ali was linked with a lot of initiatives in the agriculture side. He was also linked with, with establishing uh, many areas, um, uh, uh, calculating the distances, uh, the major, major roadways, roadway not in the modern sense, but, uh, but the pathways at that time, but also um, every religious matter would come to Ali whenever Abu Bakr, Umar, Usman were faced with any challenge about uh, religious message or Quran. They were being very honest. They knew Ali knew uh, much more than them uh, and they would always refer them to Ali. Um, so the, it, it was widely known that on any critical, uh, difficult, sensitive matter on, on spirituality, on Quran, on the legacy of the Prophet, on the matters of what Prophet had said, Ali was the chief source. So Ali was extremely busy. Islam was expanding during the time of the first three caliphs. And then Ali becomes the caliph. Uh, mostly spent uh, for his four years with the three big enemies of Khawarij, of the internal dissension led by um, uh, wife of the Prophet and, and some of the close companions who were all Muslims believed the, the other side was mistaken. But then Ali was very busy with Khawarij with, and then with the governor of uh, uh, Damascus, Mavia, who was a master politician. Uh, who was after, uh, greedy after power and he never wanted to submit to the uh, the acknowledged, accepted caliph. So Ali was extremely busy, but I have not read it anywhere or it is the history is not recorded at any point that Ali uh, failed to play his role as a parent as well. 
I mean, in the midst of all these roles, as caliph, as somebody who's fight, uh, fighting opposition, as acting as a chief judge, going through very difficult times. Ali, during the first three caliphs, also had to go some t- tough times as well, uh, politically, both in, a, in and also in a social sense. But he, his priority was his family. And this is another message which is so central, but which is often ignored. The, the importance and centrality of your immediate family. Um, if you are very pious and uh, if you are a great leader whatsoever, uh, but if you are failing when it comes to your immediate family, uh, that's a failing um, that is not acceptable. That, that's the message that comes out of Ali. You cannot compromise or give up or sacrifice one important responsibility for the sake of other. And, and that's what Ali proved. That was reflected through when we saw Hassan and Hussein. I mean, Hussein's contribution and legacy. It was Ali speaking. It was Ali sacrificing his family. That's what Hussein lived up to. Without the Fatima and uh, Ali's teaching, Hussein would not have had that kind of knowledge, wisdom, his capacity to sacrifice him and his family. People can sacrifice themselves. Sacrificing your own family, the, the, the most privileged family in a spiritual sense, getting killed and massacred at the hands of the caliph of Islam at that time, it was not easy. It was Ali's wisdom and the clarity of faith that was instituted, instilled in Hussein and Hassan's heart. That you have to give credit to Ali and Fatima for that. Professor Abbas, this book is spectacular. And we've been talking for almost an hour And we haven't even scratched the surface of so much of what you have managed to pack in here about the biography of Imam Ali. This is a wonderful book. I really, really encourage listeners to buy it, read it, read it again, read it again. It's absolutely wonderful. Unfortunately, I don't think we have time for many of the other questions I had. Um, But of course, there is a tradition here on the New Books Network, which is uh, asking the author if they could share uh, what they're working on now. So, Professor Abbas, can you tell us what you're working on now? Uh, Yes, very briefly. And um, uh, I'm thankful to my publisher, the same publisher, Yale University Press, uh, that they have in principle agreed to uh, publish my next book. And uh, which I've started working on. Still, I have to have the contract in hand, but but I'm close to it, I hope, which is a biography of Bibi Fatma to Zahra. And uh, that that will be even a tougher job than this one. Um, and uh, as you know, I'm not qualified as a religious scholar, but and I want but I want to write something like this book for ordinary general audience also. It's supported by uh, authentic sources and being true to history and try to be above any uh, sectarian divisions. I want to give a common narrative which helps uh, all of the people to connect. That that was the message of the Ehlul Bayt. Um, so I hope and I need uh, support and prayers uh, from all listeners and um, support also in terms of research and ideas um, to, to write that, to start working on the book on uh, Bibi Fatma Zara. That's the next project, the wife of, of uh, Imam Ali Ibn Abi Talib. I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say that we're all looking very much forward to reading that book. Uh, and hopefully you can come back on the show, God I willing. Would I would love to. I'm so grateful for this opportunity 
and uh, for for your very thoughtful questions. I'm I'm so thankful. The book is The Prophet's Error, published in 2021 with Yale University Press. Professor Hassan Abbas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.